Today on Summit Life with J.D. Greer. If our God, if the Heavenly Father is a good, a blessing, and a prospering God that makes sure somehow birds get taken care of and cares about the beauty of flowers that don't last more than a few months, isn't he going to care about security and beauty for you since you're his child? Welcome to Summit Life with pastor and teacher J.D. Greer. As always, I'm your host, Molly Vitovich. Okay, so what brings you the most worry and anxiety? Is it your kids, your job, your finances? I think it's safe to say that we usually worry most about what we are devoted to the most. Thankfully, Jesus talks about the difficult emotion of anxiety by first challenging what we are most devoted to. Today, Pastor J.D. continues our new series called Smoke from a Fire. And as always, if you missed the first message in this teaching, you can always catch up online at jdgreer.com. But right now, here's Pastor J.D. with a message about anxiety. If you got your Bibles this weekend, you will take them out and you will open them uh, or turn them on and scroll down to Matthew chapter 6. That is where we are going to be today. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. We are in our second week um, of a series on emotions that we are calling Smoke from a Fire. The basic idea in this series is that our strongest and our deepest emotions function something like smoke from a fire in which you could trace the trail of the smoke back down to see what is on fire in your heart. The wise thing to do if you smell smoke in your house is never to whiff it away. It's not to turn on a fan or try to try to get the smoke out of your house. The wise thing to do is to figure out what is on fire in your house. When the same way, when you experience these emotions, before you just focus on managing them or even on medicating them, what you ought to do is look at what they are telling you about the condition and the state of your heart so that you can understand what's going on down there. Well, this weekend, I wanna talk about an emotion that we've all dealt with to some degree in varying degrees at some point in our life, and that emotion is anxiety. I posted a question on Instagram. The question was, what makes you anxious? I got a number of interesting responses back to that question. One response was, looking at Instagram makes me anxious. I thought, well, just get off of it. Stop responding to me. Uh, Then there was uh, this one, the thought of you preaching a sermon on anxiety makes me anxious. Mom, if you would please stop posting on my Instagram account, I would appreciate that. Uh, One was when your countdown clock hits zero, 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 and it still sounds like you were in the middle of your introduction. That was from some of our program people there in the back, I think. Some of the more serious responses that we got were, let's see, uh, money was one that usually was expressed as, I'm worried that I'm not going to be able to have enough to provide for my kids or uh, to be able to take care of my aging parents. Being alone, that actually was the number one most repeated response that I got in this little uh, mini survey, the future, uh, that came in a few times. Being accepted by others going to the doctor, because we know how evil those people are. Whether I am truly living out God's purpose for my life uh, was one that came in. Uh, Never meeting Nicolas Cage in person. I I might have slipped that one in there. I don't know. Um, Losing control, uh, being able to find the right spouse, uh, being able to have a child, losing a spouse or a child, losing another child, 
or failing as a parent? Uh, to be honest, uh, simply the number of responses I got uh, to that question was telling. Usually when I post stuff like that out there, I'll get, you know, a couple dozen responses or whatever, but just the sheer number of people that were responding saying, hey, this is where anxiety comes from my life was, was pretty overwhelming. Anxiety is one of those problems in our hearts that gives birth to all kinds of other problems. Think of it like one fire that quickly spreads all over the house of your life. A Bible teacher named John Piper says, he says, think about how many other sins in your life are connected to the root sin of anxiety. Anxiety about money, for example, will cause you to hoard or to steal. Anxiety about succeeding will make you irritable and impatient with those around you. Anxiety about relationships can make you withdrawn or feel indifferent toward other people. Anxiety about what others think about you can make you lie or stretch the truth or cause you to do things that otherwise you may not do. If anxiety could be conquered, a mortal blow would be struck to many other sins. So today we are going to try to strike a mortal blow to anxiety. And we're gonna do that by looking at what Jesus says about anxiety. It is, I believe, one of his most profound and insightful teachings. It comes at the end of Matthew chapter six, which is right in the middle of Jesus's famous Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is gonna explain that anxiety is a divine invitation for you to trust God and for you to lean in more on God. By the way, Matthew six is such a favorite passage of mine that I constantly, constantly refer to bits and pieces of it in other sermons that I am preaching. And so when it came time to choosing a passage for this emotion, I wondered if maybe Matthew 6 was way too familiar, as if you know I've been through it too many times. But when I went back and actually looked, the last time I preached all the way through this passage was 2003. Like half of our worship team was still in diapers at that point. So I felt like it was time for me to do it again, okay? So we good? This feel fresh to everybody? All right, now, one quick caveat before I jump in. And you're like, gosh, you have like a thousand introductions. I know, but um, just hear me out on this one before we jump in. As with all of these emotions, there can be a lot going on when you experience anxiety. Last week, I explained that our bodies and our souls are integrated. What that means is that what happens in one invariably, inevitably affects what happens in the other. And I say that because there are some of you that when you experience anxiety, there are other factors going on that have to do with your physiological makeup. Uh, that have to do with past traumatic experiences that you walk through. It may have to do with relationships you are in or not in in the present. And I don't want to, in this message, imply that I'm collapsing all of our anxiety problems just into the spiritual bucket. I am dealing up here in Matthew chapter six primarily with the spiritual root causes of anxiety. All right, Matthew six. Let me just read the passage to you in its entirety beginning with verse 24 because it is such an important and incredible teaching. Um, Matthew six twenty-four. No one can serve two masters, Jesus says, for either he will hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You simply cannot serve God and money. You say, well, that's an odd thing to start with. If you're gonna talk about anxiety, great question. Put a pin in that, we'll come back to it. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or worry about your body, what you will wear. Because isn't life more than food and in the body more than clothing? Verse 26, consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than a bunch of birds? Can any of you add one single moment to his lifespan by worrying? Why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread or cut coupons or go shopping. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these beautiful creations. 
Well, see, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and trampled down, cut down, thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? You have little faith? Verse 31, so don't worry, saying, what are we gonna eat or what are we gonna drink or what are we gonna wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. By the way, Gentiles there in that context just means pagans, uh, people that are totally separated from religion, people who have no concept of God at all. But you, you got a heavenly father. You have a heavenly father and he knows that you need those things because he created you with those needs. Verse 33, you, you should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these things will be provided for you as you need them. Verse 34, therefore don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day you see has trouble of its own. In this passage, I believe Jesus makes primarily three points about anxiety. Here they are. Number one, anxiety, Jesus explains, thinks too little about God. Anxiety thinks too little of God. This might be the most profound, most counterintuitive point that Jesus makes in this passage, because you see, most of us think of anxiety as an emotion that just naturally arises from the uncertainties of life. But Jesus says, listen to this, Jesus says it is an emotion that is intimately connected to our deepest desires. We worry most about what we are devoted to most. If you want to see what you are most devoted to, simply ask yourself the question, what you have the most anxiety over? Because what you are most devoted to is what you worry about most. Let me prove that to you really quickly. I don't worry much about your kids' grades. Right? It's not that I don't care about you or your kids. It's just that it's, I don't worry about your kids. I'm not like, oh, I don't lie in bed at night. Like, oh, what about that person's kids? Or maybe they're not going to graduate high school and they're not going to be able to get a job and their life's going to be bad. I don't ever think that, right? Why? Because I'm not devoted to your kids and I love your kids. I love you know, being a part of the same church, but I'm not devoted to them and you're not devoted to mine. So I don't worry about them and you typically don't worry about mine. I don't worry about how your boss is going to respond to that assignment you turned in last week. If you come up to me and like, hey, let's pray about this. We're gonna pray about it together and I genuinely care, but I promise you 15 minutes from now, I'm not gonna be thinking about it. But you probably still are because you're devoted to your job. And so what you worry about is always connected to what you're devoted to, which is why Jesus starts this discussion on anxiety, listen, by challenging what we are most devoted to. Right? You see the word therefore in verse 25? Anytime you see the word therefore in the Bible, you should always look and see what it's, Therefore, I was worried that you were going to know that joke. So therefore, I tell you, what's therefore pointing back to? Verse 24. And verse 24 is where he challenged what we're most devoted to, right? He is saying the reason you're so anxious about money is you are devoted to money because you believe, listen, you believe that money is the one indispensable ingredient in the good life, you think that money determines whether or not you're gonna have everything else that you think you need. The point of this passage is not money. The point is anxiety. Money is simply Jesus's number one illustration because he knows that when it comes to anxiety, this is where it's going to, the rubber's gonna meet the road for most of us. If you think that money is essential to the good life, then you're gonna spend most of your life worrying about getting it, about keeping it, about hanging on to it, about not losing it, about who's got more of it than you do, about whether or not you're disappointing your parents as you not have more than you thought that they were gonna have or whatever it is. You're just gonna worry about it. And then Jesus asks a series of questions that challenge our devotion to money. He says, verse 25, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? In other words, is money really what determines the good life? He then is gonna illustrate why that's not true with two examples. First, he says, you should consider the birds of the sky. 
the birds of the sky don't sow or reap or gather into barns or they don't have savings accounts or open up 401ks, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. They don't spend much time saving, yet they always have their needs provided for because God takes care of them. Second, he says you should consider the wildflowers of the field. Verse 28, they don't labor or spin thread, yet I tell you, not even Solomon, who was the richest man in his generation and the most stylish man in his generation, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these beautiful creations. Flowers don't spend any of time anxious about looking pretty, yet they're beautiful because God takes care of them and God beautifies their lives. Now, y'all listen, the point in Jesus saying that is not that we shouldn't save. It's not that we shouldn't pick out stylish clothes or it's not that we should never use money to buy nice things for ourselves. It's simply that we should not be devoted to money as the primary source of security and beauty because our heavenly father will take care of those things for us. So what's the conclusion that he comes to? Key point, verse 33, Jesus says, you should seek first the kingdom of God. You should be devoted first and foremost to God. And when you do that, then all the rest of these things that you're worried about, the security, the beauty, the joy, all that stuff, God, your heavenly father is going to provide that for you. Whenever I think of this verse, I always think of one of my favorite passages by C.S. Lewis that I hope is very familiar to you because uh, it is one of my favorites and I think it's very important. But C.S. Lewis, thinking about Matthew 6, 33, said what Jesus is saying here is that in our lives, there is a first thing and then there are second things. The first thing is God and obedience to him. The second thing is everything else that we worry about, money, relationships, marriage, career, kids, all that stuff. He said, now here's what Jesus is saying. When we put first things first, when we put God first, then God promises that he will take care of second things. But when we put second things first, not only will we lose contact with the first things, we'll also lose our ability to enjoy and rest in the second things. You see, when it comes to worrying about money, people typically fall into one of two personality types, both of which Jesus, in my opinion, brilliantly addresses through these two illustrations. For some, money is their source of security. That's what money does for you, is it makes you feel secure about the future. You're gonna be able to face tomorrow because you got money. So your favorite thing to do with money when you get it is to save it. Right? You get an extra bonus at the end of the year and you're putting that in the bank and you're gonna hold on to that. For other people, money is primarily their source of beauty, their source of enjoyment, their source of significance. And so when they get an extra bonus, they spend it. They upgrade the car, they upgrade the wardrobe, they upgrade the lifestyle, they go on vacation, they add some joy into their lives. So you got people for whom money is security, they're savers, people for whom money is beauty and joy, they're spenders. And I've explained to you that in God's wonderful sense of humor, these two kinds of people always get married to each other. You never marry somebody of your own type. You always marry somebody of the opposite side. And here's what I, I'm not a marriage counselor, but here's what I've discovered in the marriage counseling I've done. Each of these people always thinks the other one has the problem with money, right? Because if you're the saver, you think the spender is just irresponsible. And if you're the spender, you think the saver is, is worried about a bunch of stuff that's never really gonna happen anyway, and they're way too uptight. Jesus is telling both of you, the saver and the spender, so stop elbowing each other. He's telling the saver and the spender that both of you've got the same root problem with money. You just got it in different directions. Both of you are devoted to money as necessary for some aspect of the good life. Do you savers think that money is necessary for security? And Jesus addresses you through his illustration of the birds. He's like, the birds don't save and they're fine. 
He addresses you spenders who think the money is your joy through the wildflower illustration. He's like, I don't spend any money on clothes, and they're gorgeous. He tells both the saver and the spender, you should devote yourself instead to God and let God be the primary source of your security and the primary source of your joy. And just like God takes excellent care of the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, he'll take excellent care of you. Again, he is not saying that you shouldn't save for the future. He's not saying that you shouldn't buy nice things for yourselves, just that your primary devotion, your primary concern with your money should be about what does God want me to do with it? What has God told me to do with it? Am I giving the first and the best to him? Am I spending the rest of it in a way that honors him? And when you do that, he promises to worry about all of those other things that you think money is necessary for. Now, we'll give one quick caveat. Some of you are anxious about money because you have terrible spending and saving habits. But even beyond that, for some of you, after you've developed all the right habits, you're still really anxious about money. And that's because money is in the place of God as what you see as the key to the good life, to security and to beauty. And so you're devoted to it. Money is your first thing. And Jesus says, make God your first thing and God will add all these other things, security and joy and everything else you're looking for. He'll add that into your life. In life, there are first things and there are second things. You make sure you keep the first thing first and God promises to take care of the second things. But you put the second things first and not only will you lose those first things, you're gonna lose your ability to have joy in the second things. Now, Jesus applies it to money because money's the big one for us. But you could just as easily apply that principle to all the other things in our lives that we worry about as well. Don't worry about parenting. He, Jesus, could have, if Jesus was talking to a group of parents of teenagers. He could have said, hey, don't worry about parenting. Don't worry about, do the birds of the field worry about their parenting? They just push their kids out of the nest and say, fly. Their kids turn out fine, right? Because God makes sure that their offspring knows what they need to know. Just like with money, that wouldn't have meant that we don't need to put time and energy into parenting, just that we shouldn't be anxious about it. We ought to be primarily devoted to God in our parenting and let him worry about the results of it. I ought to ask every day, have I done what I think God wants me to do? And if I'm putting first God in his kingdom and obeying him, then I can trust that he's taking care of all the, the ways that I lack as a parent. When I'm seeking to obey him in parenting or in any area, his promise, he will take responsibility to make sure all those other second things work out. You following Jesus' thought pattern here? When it comes to money, parenting, marriage, education, career, or any of the other litany of things that we worry about, God is not telling us to sit back and do nothing. He's saying what we need to do, we need to do in obedience to God to the best of our ability, and then we can trust him with the results and not stress out about him. We don't need to sit around and stress out about, oh, did I handle that conversation exactly right? Did I say everything I was supposed to say in that conversation? Did I make the right decision? Am I really handling myself? Am I putting myself in a place where I can meet people so that I can get married? What are other people really thinking about me? No, what you, what you think about is, am I doing what I think God wants me to do? Am I doing it to the best of my ability? And if so, then I'm seeking first his kingdom. And he promised, he promised that if I would devote myself to his kingdom, he'd take care of all those other second things because he's a good, good father. Anxiety thinks you see too little about God because it elevates the obtaining of other things besides him as the most essential element in the good life. And Jesus just says, isn't the good life, isn't it consist in a lot more than the possessions that you have? Oh, yes, it does. It consists in knowing the heavenly father, trusting the heavenly father, and trusting that that good father will provide for you what you need when you focus on him. So anxiety thinks too little about God, which leads me to the second observation. Anxiety also minimizes, Jesus said, how much God thinks about me. Anxiety minimizes how much God thinks about me. After Jesus tells them to consider how well God takes care of the birds of the field, he says, 
I mean, aren't you worth more than they? A bunch of birds? And then after he tells them to think about the wildflowers, he says, I mean, think about it, seriously, how long does grass and flowers last? Like, you know, a month, two months, three months? And then it gets, you know, it dies and, and or people mow it, they walk over time. Don't you think, if listen, if you have a God who cares about grass and cares about how pretty flowers look, if that's the nature of your heavenly father, don't you think he'll take care of you? Since you're his child, you're the best of all his creation. This is an argument from the lesser to the greater. It is built on the character of the heavenly father that gets revealed in creation. Jesus is saying, if our God, if the heavenly father is a good, a blessing, and a prospering God that makes sure somehow birds get taken care of and cares about the beauty of flowers that don't last more than a few months, isn't he going to care about security and beauty for you since you're his child? That is the argument from the lesser to the greater. If God cares about birds and begonias, he cares about you. Right? Now, in one of the other Gospels, Gospel of Luke, where Jesus teaches the same thing, he ends that teaching by switching it and going from the greater to the lesser. Luke 12, 32, Jesus ends teaching the same thing by saying, don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And if God gave you the kingdom, of course he's gonna take care of your day-to-day -day needs. How pleased was the father to give you the kingdom? Well, pleased enough that he would send Jesus to die on the cross in your place. And Jesus is like, if God loved you enough to give you the kingdom by pouring my blood out for you, don't you think he is trustworthy enough to take care of your day-to-day -day needs? Charles Spurgeon, who dealt with, like I said last week, a lot of anxiety himself, said it this way, listen to the voice of the Lord speak. I'll help you. It's a small thing for me, your God, to help you. Just consider what I've already done. What? Not help you? I bought you with my blood. What? Not help you. I die for you. Since I've done the greater, will I not also do the lesser things for you? It's an argument from the greater to the lesser. If God gave Jesus, of course, he's going to take care of your day-to-day -day needs. It wouldn't make any sense otherwise. According to the Bible, this should be so obvious. It's beyond question. Surely, if God cares enough for us to send his son to the cross to die, we can trust him with our bills, our spouses, and the future of our families, right? You're listening to Summit Life, and if you'd like to hear this message again or share it with a friend, visit us at jdgreer.com. JD, this week we released a new companion resource that goes along with our new teaching series. How are we hoping that listeners will use this new devotional and scripture guide? Well, Molly, I would like to, to believe that everything we teach here on Summit Life coming from the Bible is relevant to all of us all the time. But um, there are a particular series like this one that I think are, are relevant to us in a very unique and, and dare I say, even intimate way. Um, and that is when in dealing with the emotions that come from our hearts that indicate the state of our hearts. And rather than try to suppress our emotions or manage them, we really got to diagnose them. That's the idea of smoke from a fire is that I'm following the trail of smoke back down to the fire so I can see um, the altar that I'm worshiping at. So what we're doing is in addition to the teaching, um, we're wanting to give um, a, a tool, uh, smoke from a fire, a, a study guide that will help you study some of these same passages and press into what's going on in your own heart that's creating these emotions. You know, faith starts with honesty before God, but it doesn't end there. Um, it, it's got to press into the word of God. And this guide will help you be honest about yourself before God, but also look at what the Bible has to say about, about what's going on in your heart. 
We love making all of these resources available because they're helping people around the country dive deeper into God's Word with the life-changing power of the gospel. And it's all made possible by listeners like you. Give today or join the team of monthly supporters called Gospel Partners. And remember to ask for the Smoke from a Fire devotional workbook. This resource of 10 devotionals and a scripture guide through the passages of this series will help you call to mind the goodness of God and realize that His plans for you are ultimately good. Let us get it to you today. I promise it will be something you will continue to come back to again and again. Give us a call at 866-335-5220. One more time, that's 866-335-5220. Or you can request the workbook when you donate online at jdgreer.com. That's J-D-G-R-E-E-A-R.com. Or if it's easier to mail your donation, write to J.D. Greer Ministries, P.O. Box 12293, Durham, North Carolina, 27709. And remember to include a note asking for your devotional and scripture guide. You also don't want to forget to follow Pastor JD on Facebook and Instagram for more updates and encouraging content. I'm Molly Vitovich, inviting you to join us next time for the conclusion of today's message on anxiety. See you Friday on Summit Life with JD Greer. Today's program was produced and sponsored by JD Greer Ministries.